0: I had very. I came from a very religious upbringing as a kid, and uh, my cousin uh, Chris and his wife Rachel they used to babysit me and my older brother whenever my father, would, you know, be working double shifts because you know I was raised by my uh, single father. Basically, they would take us to movies, and the the fun thing about it, which kind of blew up in their faces, is this is like you know early '80s. You couldn't go online and, and read every single plot point of a movie. You know, a lot of times a lot of times you would, you know, open up the newspaper and you'd see kind of a poster and you'd be like, okay, I'm gonna go see that. Well, my very religious, like, youth pastor cousin took me and my brother to see Robocop in the theater. Like, I walked out of that movie, like, I was silent. Not because I had been affected by anything, but because I knew I was about to do a fucking backflip as soon as I got outside of what I had just seen. But I knew my cousins would like, you know, make me repent.
1: Hello. Welcome to another episode of a podcast directed by We continue our watch of Paul Verhoeven And the voice you have been hearing on the last couple episodes It's not me and Mike uh, Is Jerry Smith of the Pod and the Pendulum podcast He is our resident Paul Verhoeven expert uh, So Mike, we have seen now one movie uh, by Paul Verhoeven Flesh and Blood, a kind of happy surprise uh, on your the end best. The best this so, man has to offer <laughs> So after seeing that what is your, does it change how you go into these movies that you've already seen? Because, you know, the movies we're checking out today are RoboCop and Total Recall, uh, and just about everybody has seen these movies before, and I know that you have at least seen Total Recall, but as I remember, RoboCop, like, you haven't seen since you were much younger, uh, so, does, yeah. so does it alter your expectations at all? Um, so I, I go in with a great deal of
2: trepidation on flesh plus blood on that one and uh then I come out as you said pleasantly surprised, even like higher on it than you, because 'cause I'm like, this is a this is a forgotten masterpiece, is what this is. This is a gem of you know eighties fantasy filmmaking. Um these are Robocop. words that I just
1: never expected to hear you say.
2: I you know, I often find that uh people will get far too relaxed uh with themselves. I, I think they should treat their <laughs> you know their own tastes with uh, great paranoia on why they like something or don't. So I that's agree with I, that, actually. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, I didn't want to watch anything fantasy-related. I wanted to go back uh, to his 70s work. You said no. You strong-armed me. End up being great. Uh, now we're coming... I guess, what is, would this be the comfort food, is what you're saying?
1: RoboCop? Total Recall? Uh, I think especially Total Recall. <laughs> yeah. But, you know... what? You know, RoboCop, of, not comfort food. We'll, we'll get into why I don't think it's comfort food. But... Um, maybe not comfort food, but kind of the, what you expect out of Paul Verhoeven, or maybe what he's best known for. Although he has like two or three different kind of eras of his filmmaking that happened very quickly. Like you have the yeah, science fiction stuff and to to the sexy and stuff. next That's episode, <laughs> Mike gets to the fucking, and he can't wait, but we're not <laughs> there yet. So let's not go there yet. Uh,
2: unfortunately. Um, so, I mean, I, I'm mildly interested going into RoboCop, um, but also like clearly there's, there's been something holding me back that I'm like, I have a vague memory of it when I was far too young to be watching it. Probably it was probably like on basic cable or something. So I'm I'm sure all the juicy bits are cut out. Um, but I don't know. It's always felt like just really fucking dorky. And so I've never (laughs) like, (laughs) I've never felt the need to see like the man in the, like the robot suit, uh, not even solving crime, I guess just
1: <laughs> ending <laughs> just, it. Just
2: Yeah. Um, uh, I don't know. So th- this is like a, something I probably never would have watched unless forced to, but I don't want to make it sound like no, no. I was dreading it. This is like, you know, this should be like empty, easy calories. This should be filler. And material. also I
1: don't think, you know, I mean, part of this whole experiment of this podcast is, Getting us both to watch things that we might not have otherwise. Like, so for me, it's interesting that we're coming at this from totally different perspectives because Robocop's something I've seen. I don't even know how many times I've probably seen it more than any other Paul Verhoeven movie. Like this is the one I've watched most. Uh, and I, I probably watched it once when I was a teenager uh, and, you know, enjoyed it, but on like a very superficial level. Right. Like it's violent. Uh you know RoboCop looks cool It's for the 80s I guess when you when you talk about special effects uh, but it's something I've actually gone back to a lot because I think it has more to offer than you would think at first glance than a movie called RoboCop like I don't think you're expecting too much
2: Oh uh, here we go it's yes. the, the Paddington is the the immigration <laughs> story of our time uh, here we I knew Absolutely. this nonsense was coming yep. you you pull up the Wikipedia page, and it's like, oh my god, uh, production is broken down to seven parts. Is it necessary?
1: Is it really necessary for RoboCop? Yes, and that's why we're talking about it, Mike. So, right. what did you think when you revisited RoboCop?
2: Um, It's not nearly as fun or as smart as it thinks it is.
1: <laughs> I disagree on both counts. I think it is super fun, and actually surprisingly smart for an 80s action movie.
2: Uh, might makes right i mean i don't know it, it was interesting to like uh, i did watch strangely about you know 10 minutes of this uh i don't know where they were but some sort of like reunion of sorts uh with the principal filmmakers mm-hmm. uh and mm-hmm. the screenwriters i think they were the ones that touched on it uh paul verhoven he actually seemed like God help me if there's anything that comes out about him. uh Anytime I'm on a podcast now, and I'm like, this guy seems fun to be around. <laughs> He'll be dead horrible. in a week, <laughs> or you know, he's been harassing people for decades. That sort of thing. Uh, so hopefully not. Uh, my research didn't go that far, but he basically just seemed sort of amused with it. Like, yeah it has got a robo suit, you know, he shoots <laughs> things. And I'm like, all right, so I have no, uh, no ill will towards him. But the screenwriters talked about how they're very liberal, left-leaning in their politics. And they were actually, I guess, taken aback that, um, I guess, like-minded souls that uh, were analyzing the film uh, sort of deemed it very like sort of fascist state or very like uh, hard right, uh, wet dream. Sort of thing mm-hmm. like that, it's and I, I think that's something that I remember from my youth more so with uh Starship Troopers, which we'll talk about later on in the month. Right. I remember some of those similar debates because that was you know more my time than mm-hmm. what, what is this when this come out 87? 87 87. Yep. So, yeah, a decade earlier. Um, and I mean, I, I don't think Verhoeven is ever going to be accused of being subtle, <laughs> so certainly not uh, in this movie, no. <laughs> Yeah, I mean the privatization of you know basic sort of government functions. Uh, so like the police work being outsourced to a company that basically wants to sell taxpayers uh, big toys that have guns on them. I mean it's like um, the government run by like a really angry 12-year-old, uh, a very
1: angry spoiled 12-year-old with all hmm. the new gadgets. What would that be like? In 2019, in the United States,
2: yeah, you, I mean, you mm. give me this as if that's you know comforting in some way, and I'm just like, I, I don't know. I mean, is it like, <laughs> is it smart to like call the shots like this? Because I, I know that the Simpsons was like applauded or seen as some sort of like soothsayer that they were like they once predicted that President Trump <laughs> would exist. I'm like, because <laughs> they chose like the dumbest broadest joke, and we're just stupid enough to have lived long enough <laughs> to be in that timeline.
1: Well, I think. It's interesting that you bring up that there are people on the right when this movie came out that were like, yeah, this is great. good. Yeah, (laughs) and it's just – it's the ultimate example of like, oh, you have to be careful of what you put out there because you can make a joke or you can put something underneath the surface that you expect people to get, but people sometimes will just get the surface and they won't look any deeper. To be fair, it's, it's not like this is, like, deep underneath no. the surface. Type no. Stuff. It's, like, in, Fight Club-esque,
2: right? Yes. As far as people, like, oh, we should start hitting each other. It's like, oh, no, that's not.
1: <laughs> it's not a good normal. idea, guys. Yeah. <laughs> that's not what we it's should be doing. It's actually
2: in the text of the film to not do
1: that, but yeah, just ignore that. Okay. It's like, Everybody wants to be Brad Pitt. We got it. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's interesting because it's – calling it subtext gives it probably too much depth. Right. It's like it's like text. And then there's like a little bit of text just underneath it. Like you just (laughs) like it's almost it's almost impossible not to see the message there. And and I don't think it's trying to be subtle. I, I don't think that's that's something that this movie ever wants to be. It's trying to show you in no uncertain terms. And I like the fact that it does it in the in the framing of a traditional action film, because a traditional action film is kind of a right winger's fantasy. Right, So you put that here, then it should be easy to see the joke. It should be easy to see the message. And yet people still somehow find a way to miss it. And it's interesting that this is done in 87 when we were at kind of the height of, I guess, like anti-liberal ideals. You talk about like the Reagan years and all that. Like it's – this is something – Not necessarily the type of movie, but the message of the movie feels like something that would come along a little bit later. But this seems to be like in direct reaction to what's what was going on politically in America at that time, where everything was about excess uh, and everything was about Reagan and like fighting back against these kind of the liberal years. So it's interesting that a movie like this with with right wing skin, but underneath is very, very liberal. It's no Watchmen.
2: Right. I mean, that's
1: <laughs> some of that stuff that, that tackles that same sure. time frame. Um, but I think, it, but well. I think Watchmen expects more out of its audience. Like you do have to read deeper because the people Way have to read. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or at the time you did at least. Yeah. Well, now that we
0: have Zack Snyder. Thank goodness. To put it on film. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I, I mean, you know, I, I when it's funny, I kind of like it. Uh, I, I mean, I, my vague memories of it was that it was just sort of uh, trashy meanness. And that actually held up. <laughs> like uh-huh. I don't know. It's just like, you, it, it's interesting. I was trying to think of an action
1: film that uh, leans left. Um, um... Fast and the Furious movies, maybe? Lots of diversity. Lots of Talk well, about I mean, how that's... important Chosen Family is as opposed to... I mean, maybe the
2: Born series, you know, it's, uh, but it's just because it's one guy, right? And it's one guy that's been abused and sort of abandoned uh, when he no longer sort of is a function of, uh, of that particular society. Uh, I mean, like I, I both like and then think that it goes a bit overboard with some of the gags, like you know, they have this uh, stop motion robot. Uh, they bring in
1: <laughs> bad with stairs like, that robot. Not good. <laughs>
2: here's Here's how we can uh replace the police force, and it's like you know hold up this gun and then uh, watch it attack you, or you know it's gonna give you a warning that's about to attack you oh uh there's a there's a bug in the system uh and end up shooting you <laughs> I in love the middle of your body with the bullets. thing I love
1: about that I mean there's two things I love about that one is that it's it's a very obvious um kind of allusion to how our original cop dies he's shot way too many times and you have kind of the same thing happening here so you have you know the villains of the piece on both sides essentially doing the same thing whether it's on purpose or on accident the other thing i love in more of a kind of horrifically funny way is the fact that that guy's about to get shot and his first thought instead of like running out of the room or getting out of range is to like move into a crowd (laughs) like let Mm -hmm. me just use you as a shield they definitely liked body count back then on
2: the on the screen. Yes. Um. But yeah. So like the I guess the origin of this guy who's gonna become RoboCop. I don't know. I don't get anything out of the gratuitous violence where we like you know we we he's tortured through gunplay, which um there's obviously uh you know suspension of disbelief you have to make with a man who's gonna become the RoboCop, but he is tortured by being riddled with bullets like as if as if he's being slowly stabbed or he's in like a saw device I'm like well he's he should be dead now you know, oh he's not oh then they shoot him in the head still not dead
0: he's and, got like
2: 36 bullet wounds in him
1: somehow still
2: I mean almost I know alive. it's not that type of movie so I'm sure. like so then I get mad at the film because I'm like okay so you're like reveling in unnecessary violence here and I did read that uh, Verhoeven thought that um By having excessive violence, that it would be so over the top that there would be a disconnect from it. Like you, you wouldn't actually look at it as a like, oh, this is a tragic like cop killing here. um uh, From uh, what we see is just like uh, you know, lamps of the slaughter. Like they're bringing these cops in because they're getting killed left and right, um which is probably it's just... good
1: because you don't have enough time to really care about this relationship too much, right? Like you're introduced to your two cops for like five minutes and then it's like, Oh, and then one of them's dead and one of them survives and the other one becomes RoboCop. Like we got to get to the, we got to get to the fun stuff. Yeah.
2: Um, so, but I, you know, the, to me, when, when, when a, when a guy who's looking to make a lot of money on a lot of, uh, people's pain, society's pain, uh, when he gets riddled with bullets, yeah, I can see the dark humor there when a cop is like, uh, screaming and sort of begging for his life, and it's like it's gonna be fine. He's gonna turn into RoboCop. He will no longer be himself or have like he has the smallest shred of humanity left. I don't know. I, I don't find it funny. I don't, and I don't because of its product of its time and apparently like the, the actual suit that uh, the actor had to wear. Uh, you yeah. Know, I don't think the action scenes are really good. Where he's like, there. I think there's a reason. Like, like you know, 20 years out, The Matrix. There's set pieces sure. that I can remember or like you'll see on a a, a sizzle reel a package reel of some sort uh, die hard you know, you know there, there's moments from that I don't is there a moment in
1: RoboCop where it's like oh that one set piece that's 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 really good hmm, that's a good question I mean I think I think that what they would love for me to say the creators of the sound would love for me to say is the showdown between RoboCop and the uh, the machine that can't use the stairs is supposed to be the big moment. It's really not. I think probably the most memorable moment is him saving the woman who is held at knife point. Weird
2: pubic hair gag from the, the attempted rapist here. Just strange shit.
1: Anytime you get into an eighties movie, it's like, Oh, that, Oh, all right. That's there. Yeah. Cool. There's a lot of, there's a lot of weird stuff here for sure. It's some, some time capsule stuff. Like it is very eighties in every way. And it's interesting. You brought up this idea of like, you know, the dark humor in violence because I'm wondering if that's what they were going for in that sequence with the cop in the beginning. I didn't, I never felt that. Like, no matter how many times I've watched it, it does feel like it's supposed to get a stronger emotional reaction than it gets from me. I think it's one of the few movies that probably could be longer. Like, if you gave us a little bit more background with his family. So you cared more about him. I mean, you get some of that stuff later, but it's all in these little glimpses that he kind of barely remembers. But if I knew more about him as a character at that moment, I would probably care more. And instead it just becomes, you know, letting Kurtwood Smith as Clarence just go nuts and have, have a great time being a villain. And he's a great villain. Like he's a really enjoyable villain. You know, if you haven't seen this movie, you might know him from things like that 70s show, Uh, And it's interesting to to cast someone who looks like Kurtwood Smith as your as your villain, because he doesn't exactly inspire fear. He's not a big guy. You know, he's balding. So he does it. It's all done with voice. And I think it's really effective, though. I think he is a really good villain. But I think the movie also is interested in telling you that he's not the true villain. The true villain is, of course, the people who own the company who are who are employing him those are the people you should really be scared of like kurtwood smith is terrible and he does terrible things but he's simple and he's controllable and he's being controlled by the evil people who run these companies
2: i mean he's he's basically operating a uh, on a bigger scale like the lemonade stand you know he sees a, he sees yeah. a vacuum here's something i can provide which is uh you know drugs and prostitution and uh violence and uh someone else is gonna Fill that particular uh, hole, so I'll do that for the great city of Detroit, which you know that, that I have to admit, like the uh, what was it like the statue campaign that happened oh, Lord. years ago. <laughs> See, that's that was I think that was something else that held me back from ever like checking this out again. I'm like, this is just too dorky. I can imagine too that. nerdy. I can
1: imagine just that. Yeah,
2: can't get into it.
1: I don't I mean, know. It's interesting that you know it does take place in Detroit, given what's happened to Detroit in the years since. This movie, like they kind of talk about, you know, how terrible parts of Detroit are and like, you know, how it's emptied out and there's nothing but, you know, you know, essentially essentially really, really poor people living here and kind of, you know, obviously this is elevated, but it kind of there's kind of what's happened in Detroit. Detroit has been destroyed economically. You know, and it's it's weird when a movie like this, when a movie so over the top like this, whether you're talking about the city of Detroit or you're talking about corporations owning things they shouldn't and controlling things they shouldn't. It's weird that this movie has become prescient. <laughs> like, I don't
2: just think like, Just like Paddington will be. <laughs> I mean, it you know, it it knew that little bear knew <laughs> that there was going to be Trump, knew what was going to be happening at the border, knew, you know, it knew that it had to come and teach us as Americans how to treat our fellow man? <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, the sequel bombed at it's, the box office. It's too bad.
1: It really is too bad.
2: Paddington, you know, just he's just not like really good when it comes to selling his vision. Mm-hmm. Could know, have it saved us all, guy, but nope.
1: <laughs> you know, for
2: for a fake bear, good on policy, but you know, just not very photogenic.
1: <laughs> I just wonder, like in thinking about this movie, like I already mentioned, how I feel like this is in direct reaction to the Reagan years. And it makes me think like, you know, there was a bunch of there's kind of a bunch of jokes going on when Reagan was running for governor and when he ran for president. Like, oh, we'll never elect an actor to be to, to lead this state or lead this country. And of course they did. And like you just extend it further and further and further out. And it shouldn't be surprising, not only that someone like Schwarzenegger would <laughs> would win in office, but also Trump. At this point now, like we're just like extending the metaphor further and further and further. That like there is no line anymore. Like so, it's interesting to watch a movie like this that feels so over the top and was over the top even in the late eighties. But you watch it and you're kind of like, yeah, but kind of here we are. Like it's not actually that far off and that ridiculous.
2: I, I think I imagine like the diehards. Uh, like I was in I was in college when uh, Schwarzenegger I uh, think was running or got elected uh governor and I, I just made like a, aside side about it. Like, I think I was like, you know, talking about movies as I, you know, that's obviously not a shocker. Uh, <laughs> you know, pre-podcasting, I was talking to somebody about it. just wasn't being recorded. Uh, and I was just like, well, you know, you can't let those people decide things. I was talking about the people of California. Like we shouldn't let them dictate, <laughs> dictate. I was talking about what we watch, you know, what, like what we consume. It was probably something like, you know, they ought to have, uh, you know, film production crews all over. And then, of course, you know, there's tax credits. They'll do just that. Um And I, I made a crack about Schwarzenegger. And there was I remember there was a young lady in that class and she's like, hey, I'm from California. How dare you say that? And uh, the only response I had, which was totally genuine, but also equally insulting, was I'm sorry. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh... you know, I'm not striking anything from the record here, but. That was stupid, you know. That's a, like why why do we have Arnold like yet again dictating things. You know, yep. he's the Terminator. Keep him yep. as the Terminator. I, I think that if you swing big like this, you're bound to hit something. Sure. That that reminds people of you know like oh it's you know it's it's crazy how close we've we've come to to that. Um, you know I, I don't know the the. Florida Marlins before they existed won the world series and people are like, Oh, and back to the future. They said, you know, that that was going to happen. Miami was going to um, be and you know, and it's just like, yeah, that's nice, but my life and her life still sucks. And <laughs> Trump is still president. So just shut the fuck up already. Like that's, <laughs> that's sort of my, like, not helping RoboCop. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't find it cute or amusing. Um, I probably wouldn't have watching it fresh with the, the, you know, Reagan on the mind either. I just sort of thought like, yeah, this is, kind of clumsy kind of forced i just wish it was just a better action movie you know Mm -hmm. instead of like trying to make these broad but maybe in some people's view sharp points Mm -hmm. i'm like can you just stage this better like you know could you not have designed a suit where the guy could actually move around like you know it's just
0: no these are
1: these are all good points and i think a lot of it comes down to the fact that this movie was made for nothing as far as action movies go which is why it's so successful i mean it made A lot of money for whatever reason, like in 1987, this really captured the public's attention Um, and they didn't spend that much money on it. And I feel like I would I keep almost saying, well, if they made it now and I keep forgetting that they did and it was fucking terrible. uh, The remake of this is so, so bad. But but I, I think a lot of people would be like they did. Yes, (laughs) it's true. We can make another one and no one would be like, no one's Mm -hmm. ever done this before. This is how interesting. Uh, The action sequences in that were better. The effects were better, uh, but definitely not a better movie. And I think I think what really works about this movie is two things. One, the villains, I think, Kurtwood Smith and uh, Miguel Ferrer are both fantastic, skeevy 1980s villains would be
2: like Ronnie Cox
1: a lot.
0: Yeah. And and we will see him again.
2: (laughs) The best action sequence is (laughs) when uh, he is insulted in the men's uh, (laughs) show. It's a great moment. (laughs) It's just like, you know, that is how dare he talk shit about me in this, you know, this this sort of mecca of literal swinging dicks. And he's going to call me names when he doesn't know I'm in the room. Like,
0: I mean, on the bottom line, pal, I hear Jones was plenty pissed. Oh, you know, he's got this killer rep,
1: but it's a (laughs) smokescreen.
0: his face he's lost his teeth. The guy's a pussy.
1: He's old, we're young, you guys know what's going on. and that's life. <laughs> Congratulations, Bob. Thanks. I remember when I was a young executive for this company, I used to call the old man funny names. Iron Butt, Boner. Once I even called him Asshole. But
2: I mean, yeah, when it's like true, like uh, not just white on white crime, but like white collar on white collar crime, like when it's those guys like fighting over which way they're going to screw over like the city, everyone's product (laughs) they're going to present to them. um, It's like, you know, that's when I kind of get it. Mm -hmm. Those, those particular scenes, I kind of get what people see in this sort of, I guess, dark satire but I, anytime it's like RoboCop, I, I don't know. I don't care at all. Like, I just don't. I'm just like, yeah, let's just <laughs> think about He was like, let's just get this over with. Let's just get to <laughs> the movie that's got three titties, please. Let's just <laughs> I'll take
1: that. Bring that on. I think the thing I don't like about this movie is the stuff actually that, you know, this whole podcast is about directors, but the stuff that uh, Paul Verhoeven has stated that he loves so much about this movie is the kind of the Jesus allegory uh that he's attempting to make like you literally oh. have this guy being risen from the dead right uh, and then there's a scene where he's at near the very end where the whole nuclear waste sequence where he's walking through this water right but of course because the like the thickness of the of the feet of Robocop are actually so thick it looks like he's walking on water and he did that very much on purpose to make us think of Jesus and this is the savior of Detroit and, all that. and I was just like oh stop it Just, and that's, that's where I tune out of the movie and I'm kind of, it's interesting because that last sequence has some very memorable moments. Like you have the guy's like skin almost literally falling off, but that's actually the part of the movie usually where I kind of tune out where I'm kind of like, okay, we can wrap it up now. Like I've had a lot of fun already. I don't need, like, I guess we need to take care of this, you know, little gang, this crime syndicate and fix this problem. But as a viewer, I'm just kind of like, I've already seen the stuff I kind of want to see. You know, like, I've seen all the, the white-collar stuff. I've seen him take out the big, you know, robot monster. You know, I've seen him take out the business guys. I'm good, actually. Because, again, to me, those are the real villains. Like, there's always going to be Clarences, right? That's not going to go away even once you kill Clarence. Doesn't matter. Or put him in jail, whatever. Someone will replace him. As you mentioned, kind of filling that gap. Like, well, okay, I guess I'm going to do that now. So it seems... Maybe it's out of order, like maybe I would have preferred it if they took out the gang first and then closed it with the rest of the stuff, but because everything else is such a step down, I'm kind of like, okay, we can wrap it up. we can roll credits
2: I mean, yeah, there's something interesting to play with uh Robocop uh, getting as excessive as what you know his origin was, like especially when he starts to remember and then have access to the files of people that he Thinks did him harm, and they actually did, um, but you know it's 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 kind of like brief in that regard. It's just like we just operate. As were watching it under the assumption, like we well, yes, since they're still actively uh, committing crimes and trying to like sort of control a city in a way, he should do that because it's in the interests of all. And I think I like a version of it where they've been dismissed and marginalized even further after they've helped establish this new force. I would like to see them run out, and do we then still want to see RoboCop just operate purely on vengeance? Right. Like it, let's let's say you know that 70 shows dad is out on this <laughs> criminal ass. You know he's like, right, <laughs> and just trying to trying to make ends meet. I don't know. Maybe he's got like a dice game or something. Maybe he's he's very low key. Uh, and then we see Robocop just bust through a wall and just, you know, rip his head off.
1: Is that as fun? I, I don't know. Yeah. It's- no, I think you've actually hit on something that as I was watching it this time, I kind of had this deeper understanding of why people of the opposite political leaning of me enjoy this movie. And I think the reason is because, you know, we can all get behind, oh, they did something wrong, they must be punished. Okay. But this movie is like, they did something wrong, they must be punished by death like there's no like these guys who held up this woman at knife point grant granted they would have done something horrible but they didn't get a chance to do that and when they didn't give up right away does he shoot him in the leg does he shoot him no he just kills them he just murders them and i think that is a very right-wing thing to be like well you shouldn't have run or you you were guilty of this thing so anything you got from the cops is okay whereas people who are more liberal are like you know that guy who was holding up a, you know, a Seven Eleven, maybe doesn't deserve to be thrown through a plate glass window. Like you are made, you are a, you're a fucking robot, and apparently bullets don't harm you. What's to stop you from just grabbing this dude and putting handcuffs on him? As opposed to like, let me give this guy a concussion and cut his face open. Like it's just so it's like the movie has these messages of liberalness underneath, but its characters are doing things that right wingers would love.
2: I mean, it's the dirty Harry thing where it's mm-hmm. like when in times of Clint you know, Eastwood, perceived... famous liberal.
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: well, you know, there's, in times of perceived lack of control, mm-hmm. you know, we we uh, maybe we don't aspire to, but you know, we certainly relish the idea of someone having ultimate control of this chaos around them, and so you, a guy in a uh, you know metal suit of armor. Uh, although no one ever aims for his jaw. Like I'm like, you know, in a movie <laughs> the movie, the one
1: oh, place where skin is, yeah, you, go you for know, it's like,
2: you know, there's the you know, Achilles there right in front of you. And like, you no, know, they're, they're precision when they're trying to torture this man, like, Oh, shoot him in the hand, shoot him okay. there. No, you can't do it when that actually like would solve a problem for him. Um, yeah, sure. We, we relish it. And, but we don't want to relish it. Like, as you're saying, where with precision, we take on this challenge, no, we <laughs> we relish all of that power and then flexing as much as we can that show of force, um, yeah, I don't know, I, yeah, I didn't even enjoy that really, like because this is not. I mean, like Arnold, like, you know, from the eighties, I enjoy those movies and that's, that's excess. That's relishing uh-huh. this massive man, like <laughs> traveling the world, <laughs> just, just wrecking like, shop, wherever he goes off of rooftops and, you know, just climb through walls, just a, a maniac. Um, but I don't know, like just uh, I, I guess it is that, uh, that corporate sort of structure where it's like this mm. branded toy going out and doing all these horrible things and then sort of, Patting ourselves on the back. Well, we we solved that problem, and I'm like, eh, d- did we? I don't know. <laughs> and just from a cinematic point of view, can't it just be more fun to watch. You know, it's just it's just too sterile in that way. And maybe maybe that's the point he, mm-hmm. that Verhoeven wanted to show this excess and violence and done in this like clinical fashion. But yeah,
1: I, I think it's interesting. When I did a little bit of research, I found out that uh, one of the biggest defenders of this film is none other none other than Roger Ebert. Uh, which shocked me. Like, this does not seem like an Ebert movie, but he, his taste is, it fluctuates. You know, like, there's stuff you're like, oh, well, that's not, that's not a real movie. And he's like, it's great. What are you talking about? And then things that win Oscars. He's like, not into it. Uh, nope. Not, not my thing. Uh, and this, I was surprised because he, he brought up one thing that I completely disagreed with. Cause I like, I like Peter Weller and he does his damnedest in this job as Robocop, but like, there's only so much you can do with not only facial reactions but just like the bottom of the facial reactions like you can't even emote with your eyes and he does all he can and he really does try but i don't think i'm ever truly convinced uh that he's feeling anything or that he's going through any kind of like pain or processing because there's just not much you could do when you know 90 percent of your body is covered with armor you know i and i'm You know, this is apparently this is a job for actors like Tom Hardy who love acting with masks over their face. Uh, But not everyone can do that. And I'd say most actors can't. And I think it's just I like Peter Weller, but it's he's just a little bit out of his depth in a movie like this.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I don't know about Tom Hardy. I think he's he's getting close for me, at least is like he's going to be the next Johnny Depp. Like, can you just like just play normal? Stop being so fucking quirky.
1: Just calm down. Yeah, no, I agree. Absolutely, because I think, actually, both of them, if you look at, you know, nineteen late 80s, early 90s, Johnny Depp and and Tom Hardy now, they're both wonderful actors. Uh, Johnny Depp, of course, like, has his own set of problems where I don't want to watch him in movies anymore. But back then, even, it was just like, you know, it just became a walking headshot. And you're just like, I don't, oh, God, this is, you're attractive and you're talented, and yet you enrage me. And I have no interest in watching this again. And Tom Hardy... Other than I guess Venom, like what's the last movie he did where his face wasn't covered for most of the film? It's just like just just play it straight. Do stuff like Bronson. you know, which is over the top. It's over the top, but at least just
2: play a lowly construction worker who has a dream of going to Mars. That's what I want (laughs) to see Tom Hardy do next. Okay,
1: speaking (laughs) speaking of that, we are about to transition, so we'll hear probably some more from our resident Verhoeven expert, but. How are you feeling now, after seeing the genius that is Robocop? How do you feel transferring over to Total recall? What are your expectations, even though it's kind of a definitely a rewatch for you?
2: Jesus Christ, get me a Sharon stone stat like I just cannot wait to get uh her on screen and um I, I really hated Nancy Allen in RoboCop and I, I yeah. like her in some of the yeah. you know 70s and early 80s stuff. And I'm like, oh, she got a thankless part, like just a complete inept cop who means well, but ends up getting her partner and herself like in bad situations. That is one
1: of the big negatives uh, of RoboCop for me is it treats women terribly, like just awful. Like, so
2: that's something. Uh, being uh, a little bit better versed in uh, Total Recall, uh, that I know that there's at least you know two strong women here, and uh, of course my favorite is the the femme fatale, the wand. Yeah.
1: And so we will and we will talk about that very soon. Right now we'll take take a quick break, and as I mentioned, hear from our Verhoeven expert, and we will be back to talk about Total Recall.
0: Just like I think that Total Recall is a great Paul Verhoeven movie. You know, it has all those things that you would that you love about Verhoeven. You know, the, the violence, uh, you know, the the exploitative, but with a message message kind of stuff. And it's very layered. It's a it's a very layered uh, kind of thriller. You know, and I, I think sometimes it's unfairly lumped in just oh, just another another sci fi movie. Whereas like horror, sci-fi is the one of the only genres that really can challenge you to think about bigger pictures.
1: All right, so we are now back to talk about Total Recall from 1990, a movie Mike and I have not seen in months and months and months. Actually, we uh, did an episode of his show about Total Recall, so we'll try to... Do something a little different uh, as we talk about this, but you know, no guarantees. We're going to talk
2: about uh, what was it Quato? Yes, is it the Quato. Uh, weird baby alien, in the 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 stomach. We'll talk about him exclusively and nothing else. Yes, i kind of
1: go with you, Dave. Yeah, I'm down. Let's do it. Why don't you lead us off talking about Quato? Uh, no, so I'm
2: not because I couldn't remember. His
1: exa- I'm like, is it Quato?
2: Is that... What is it? I don't know. It's disgusting. Is what it is. Is that
1: the name? So this is another uh, one of these kind of 80s action films that is filled with, you know, character actors you probably recognize. And especially if you've seen other Verhoeven movies, because you mentioned Ronnie, Ronnie Cox uh, in our kind of look at RoboCop. And he plays one of our main villains uh, in Kohagan. And we also have Michael Ironside, who's one of my personal favorite kind of 80s bad guys, 80s character actors, uh, playing Richter. And as you mentioned, Sharon Stone and Arnold Schwarzenegger. This is kind of... You know, for the for late 80s, early 90s, a star studded film and a big jump up in budget uh, when you go from RoboCop to this. So, you know, maybe this will make you look at RoboCop in a in a better light, because without the success of RoboCop, without all the money that that made, you never get Sharon Stone as the femme fatale in Total Recall.
2: I guess that's true. Um, but it's weird cause for me in the pop culture landscape, total recall existed as a classic and then Robocop was like this other thing over there the, like the, like the Kmart version, the, the cheap thing that, uh, we never watch. Um, I mean, it's okay. If you're looking at a s- stepping stone, I think that's something that we, when we came off of uh, Flesh and Blood, I was just like, no, I, I don't see RoboCop coming up next. I would think this guy would, would you know, never go back for bigger budgets and be like, all right, I'm going to go make these like sort of weird erotic art films. And that's that's what I'm fine with. I'm good with. Uh, and there's, you know, definitely a little bit of that. I mean, you're playing with the the uh, fantasies that men have uh, of, our, uh, you know, I guess in this case, middle age uh, is what we're presented with, even though it is Arnold So, you have this...
1: If only all uh, of us middle-aged men could look like that.
2: uh, Not quite the average uh, midlife crisis that we're having with his particular physique, (laughs) Uh, but uh, I don't know. In some ways, maybe it plays better, because it's like maybe more obvious that this guy should be doing more with himself, because he just looks like a a god, like a giant walking among (laughs) us, so... Yeah, you get why he's like, why do I have this shitty job? And <laughs> then I'm married to Sharon Stone and I'm having fantasies about other women. So it's like you either love this guy or you hate him. you are like, would you just shut up and accept your like fantastic life? Like Jesus. All right. Yeah, I
1: think you can. I think you could read it both ways. Like depending on the mood I'm in when I watch this movie, I have very different reactions to him. Uh, because as a part of me, it's just like, even if this is all false, it's pretty good, man. Your life is pretty good. You know, like you are big enough to be probably the best construction worker uh there, so it's probably not a challenge for you, and you go home to Sharon Stone every night it's, and- it's
2: it is the ultimate matrix moment with the stake, right
1: yes, <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> you know, I, don't I don't that care, I don't care, not real yeah. whatever
2: um I mean this movie is to me is a lot more fun than Robocop, and it sort of knows that it's fun and silly, like I don't. Uh-huh. Thank God. I mean, I've not looked. I'm sure they're out there where someone's got a take about how you know, Total Recall predicted the you know, Mono- Monica Lewinsky affair with Clinton or something. Like, you know, it was ahead of its time in that regard or some other horseshit. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. Which, yeah someone's got I don't know, 600 words for like any inane idea you have that runs through your stupid little mind as you're watching these stupid movies. This one, I hope <laughs> – presents you with just enough nonsense that it gets rid of whoever the viewer is, all of their like theories. Cause it kind of just presents uh, a pretty straightforward matrix like scenario where mm-hmm. it's like, you take the red pill or not, which unfortunately the red pill means uh... different thing uh, <laughs> nowadays. Um, but yeah, do you, do you give into the uh, fantasy, which could be fake and <sighs> In this world, uh, maybe a little judgmental. Maybe there's a little damnation of our lead character because his fantasy... Involves like slavery and like carnage, like you know, entire people like you know taking advantage of, and only he can save them. If only he could like clock out of his shitty job. It's (laughs) a version of Office Space where Ron Livingston, you know, goes to another country and like is treated as a god and a savior because he provides like air or water to them. Um, So in that regard, it's perfect that it's
1: Arnold, because he's an over the top character. Uh So. That's true, but I will say I think I think it's easy to make fun of Arnold as an actor during the eighties because he he didn't he didn't do a lot to to challenge himself or maybe he wasn't offered. Hold on, Dave. A lot. I'm to not challenge making fun himself. of his acting. I'm making
2: fun of his physique.
1: No. he just looks silly, right? He looks silly with his shirt off. <laughs> yeah, what an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I actually think in, the, you know, because the only the only scenes that really demand a lot of him in terms of acting are probably, you know, the first 15 minutes here where he like, you know, wakes up from his nightmare and he's trying to figure things out. I think he's actually pretty good here. I think he he's has to feign disinterest in Sharon Stone. You how know, like hard that is to, to do? How <laughs> you know, hard that is to say no to that era Sharon Stone? That man, Give that man alert. an Oscar.
2: <laughs> he doesn't really pull that off. <laughs>
1: I mean, maybe not quite, but I think he's better, maybe than you'd expect. I, I think you
2: know it's it's far less brooding than someone like Keanu in The Matrix, right? Mm-hmm. Where he's trying to, to, <sighs> it's like he's debating it in- <laughs> internally his, uh, I guess, sour mood with how his life has turned out. With this fantasy and because I, well, the thing I really like about Total Recall is that the fantasy is so ridiculous. It's like, you know, at one point it's like, all right, you're going to be this like woman with a huge head and your your fake head's going to have like a conniption fit. Uh, and then you're going to throw the head and it's going to explode, but not before it gets off a snappy one liner. This rule going to have like this. Giant... <laughs> I love this
1: movie so much. Just hearing you talk about it is yeah. making me remember. It's great. It's so much fun.
2: There's a giant uh, tracking booger you have to pull out of your nose, like Obviously. all this ridiculous stuff. Um, you know, they, they don't even try to be subtle with like, hey, here's a uh, like a shadow like version of you. We've left like he gets like in his first it's like a video game, the first like level he beats. And then that will not come back until the very end of the film when he needs to have like a duplicate mirror an image of himself clearly more fun than something like the matrix. And I think that the way Arnold plays it as, as Quaid here is that he's having fun. Even mm-hmm. when like bullets are flying past him, he and... never
1: seems concerned.
2: Even when no, everything so is so terrible. Like, is he totally bought in to this being real or not? Cause it, there's a lot of times where he's like sort of looking around like, well, that's ridiculous. So right. this right. probably isn't,
1: um, I don't I, think, I don't think... think he buys in until much, much later. That it's real. I think like maybe the last half hour of the movie, he's kinda like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> like kind and yeah, put me together. They,
2: they throw all sorts of, you know, supporting characters and villains to try to convince him that he's he has gone to this this recall place and this is you know, he's he's stuck in the machine. You know, he will not wake up back to reality and you know, his <laughs> his dreadful reality of Sharon Stone as his wife that uh, you know we're we're going to get into it even more with Verhoeven on the next go round, but it's like her role is like a femme fatale is the extreme version of like a sex doll, like the honey pot, right? Like uh-huh. <laughs> the way, the way to talk Arnold down from, you know, veering off the path, just recommend having sex. Hey, we could have sex right now. How's that strike you?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, it's simple, but you know what?
2: Makes sense. A- effective. Yes. Yeah. Uh, for the most part. Um, so, I mean, yeah, this is not Revolutionary Road as far as a look at <laughs> <laughs> a marriage I want to here. see that
1: crossover. That's...
2: <laughs> you know, DiCaprio would just, would just shut up stop being so mopey. You know, that have been fine. You know, just, Kate Winslet's like, hey, you want to go in the next room and have sex? Just have sex uh, with Kate
1: Winslet. It's yeah, That's been my dream for decades. What's wrong with you? Although
2: now that I'm remembering the third act of that, I think sex plays a big part in the downfall. So maybe yes, not. Maybe not. Uh, also, she was much know, just,
1: too old for Leo. Everyone knows. Leo only likes 21-year-old models. So. Jesus, Dave, what are you, you I
2: mean, fucking... It's true! You're talking Johnny Depp and DiCaprio on here. You know, th- this is this is a place of fantasy. This is our Total Recall episode. Let's not bring in the, the sins of these these real <laughs> men in the real world. Um, I don't know. I mean, this one, I, I would be surprised if someone said, you know what, I enjoyed that for its time. I come back to it. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I think this movie is <laughs> strangely timeless in a way. Like it's no, I it's actually actually there. agree. I was just <laughs> gonna
1: say that I I have I think I've seen like six or seven of these Verhoeven movies before, uh, and this is the one that is easily the most rewatchable. Like I I can put this on any day of the week and be totally happy. And some well, of the effects some- are still fun. Like that tracking thing that you mentioned. That's still a really disturbing effect. By the way, even now, I mean, what is it? I mean, this was nineteen ninety, so it's almost, you know, thirty years thirty years ago, and the effects still work. Well, I mean, unfortunately
2: most sci-fi films and ones that are questioning the nature of reality, uh, and they're just so dour. You know, mm-hmm. there's <laughs> so having one here, um, you know, where you're not getting into the Blade Runner, like, is he is he an android or not like you know it's just, is he <laughs> is he dreaming this uh or not and to, for arnold's viewpoint is like well if i'm dreaming this i'll wake up
1: and i'll be fine but if not i'm going to win <laughs> like, you do know. you think that this doesn't have that dourness because of the writing of the directing or because of arnold's performance cuz he kind of plays this with a smirk
2: i mean I, I think when we get to starship troopers i think we'll we'll see Verhoeven leans that way anyway, right? He's, he's, <laughs> yes. he's you know, it's he's, he's very cheeky version of look at like war and propaganda in particular. Uh, but I think, you know, from what I read, Arnold played a really strong hand in this, like almost in like a, a producer role. I don't know if he was like credited as such, mm-hmm. um, but you know, he, I think he was all over it because back then, you know, with not, <laughs> You know, th- this was not, like, <laughs> IP as it is now. Like, oh, you know, this is yet another uh, entry in the Philip K. Dick cinematic universe, you know, we have. Like, this is going to tie in later when we get all of our uh, ducks in a row. And here's a, here's a shot of Harrison Ford and Arnold posing <laughs> for a new universe. I was universe. just
1: thinking, what an insane... <laughs> it yeah. would be like, you know, how the dark universe fails and they had sure, all these pictures yeah. and entertainment weekly or monthly or whatever it is now. Could you imagine? <laughs> you have. Arnold and Harrison Ford, and I guess now uh, Ryan Gosling, <laughs> all in this same universe. Like it, I Tom
2: Cruise, baby. I, Don't forget Minority
1: Report. That's right. Yeah. And I, I think it's, even watching it now, it's just, it's kind of charming in that way, that it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't even really adhere to the source material, uh, the book itself. Like it does, I mean, who cares if it does or it doesn't, and it doesn't have to connect to anything. And that's kind of refreshing, in 2019,
2: well, IP, uh, you know, this time is Arnold. That's the brand, right? Yeah. So I think he's taking on far more control as far as, all right, this is the next, <laughs> this is the Arnold summer film for that year. You know, that's, that's what we're doing then. And I, I certainly miss those days. Uh, but no, I, I think that, uh, you know, it, it's just, it was a good combination of probably the sense of humor. Uh, I, I would definitely would guess that the sex Probably not offensive to Arnold as the leading man it was probably more Verhoeven's interest. You know, I mentioned the the three breasts we get in there, and it's just like, hey, we've got for no reason. Race. By the way,
1: there's no there's no plot reason whatsoever. It's We're just on like, Mars, so you know, just give one of
2: them Three boobs and just you know whip them out. Um, and I mean, I already mentioned. I started this with Quato, the weird like stomach baby or whatever. Like, um, I, I don't know. Or is he, is he on the stomach? Or is he on the chest? I, can, I, don't I think know. He's, he's on the
1: stomach. I think you're right. I think he's on the stomach. So the,
2: the guy that's like hiding him is like that guy just walks around and people assume he just drinks up too much beer. Like, <laughs> you know, it's just he's got the weird punch. I think that you know, normally we get to this at this point where like, okay, what do we think of the director? And I think the strange thing with the first three is that <laughs> seeing things through to the end. Um, it's just cause for mayhem and destruction. Like, you know, it's it's not a good, good quality to have. If you're in a Verhoeven film, if you find yourself in that situation, you're going to have a lot of sex thrown your way, but you know, flesh and blood, you know, these mercenaries get screwed over by God, they're going to get theirs. And what do they get by the end of it? The plague. Yeah. <laughs> just through, just going for that brass ring, uh, you know, Robocop, like, all right, you know, I'm, I'm going to do my service here and I become this machine, man. But then the, even the creators of the machines, like, you know, they, they try to overstep and go for a little bit more of the gold, get shot many times. <laughs> <laughs> Repeatedly, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and Arnold here, it, it's like, the I guess the main takeaway I have from Total Recall and what I like so much about it is it is an ode to like the alpha male's ego. when people are continuously telling him uh, you were in the wrong and and even the rebels on the good side have said hey you have wronged us before like you're actually like a double now triple agent he just barrels through I like well I'm gonna do what feels right right now what feels good for me (laughs) and I guess it all works out but even
1: the you know the ending is sort of leaving you on that maybe so you should just stay at home and have sex that is that is the message I'm taking from this is that Is that not what he was going for?
2: (laughs) That's a great preview of our very next film, Dave. Stay at home and have
1: sex and then see what happens, Dave. See what happens. (laughs) You know what? I'm okay with it. Might be worth it. One of the things I started wondering as I was rewatching this is it's very easy for me at 40 years old to sit here and say, like, I still think these effects hold up. This is fun. I'm enjoying myself. And I found myself wondering, is that true? (laughs) <laughs> or is it just that I've seen it so many times that i mm. I know what it's supposed to look like in this movie, and I wonder if you've shown like if you showed like a twenty year old this movie do you think do you think it would hold up not only just the, the effects but just generally speaking
2: I mean I think they're totally consistent I, I don't think there's anything that sticks out too much uh you know I think in Robocop the was it the ed like 900 or whatever the ED
1: 209 yes
2: 209 all right i got one digit in there i got a nine and ed you know i think it sticks out because it's two different styles right yes Uh, yes you know so between your two robots they're clearly different in how they accomplish that um total recall you know a lot of makeup i mean what you know what else is there to it and a lot of you know probably matte paintings of mars and all that um I, I actually I'm far more negative than you apparently. Um and then I don't think that modern audiences are really that impressed. I think that we're pre Jaded even with modern effects where it's like, Well, it mm. should look like that. I That's don't true. you know, I don't see you know, we're at Jurassic Park moments anymore or T two where it's like there's this leap forwards like, Jesus Christ, how'd they do that? Now there's this expectation where it's like, Well, you better you better have Iron Man looking pristine. So I think, yeah. yeah, they may say like, oh, this looks like an older film. But I don't think they would look at it and be like, this is laughable. I can't even get into the story here because I'm just taken out of it by like this shitty effects effects work. I, I don't. I And, you know, honestly, if you go more lean more into CGI, I mean, Jesus, like, you know, look at. Look at something that was heavy on that. You know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, that was on the cutting edge. Look, You know, that's the main complaint about the uh, the effects of the prequels for Star Wars. Right. Is like they went all in on everything being done and post digitally and nothing, nothing like practical other than I guess what McGregor wore, like his robes. <laughs> and it looks like shit now. And it probably would have aged better if it had just been
1: practical effects. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I'm certainly no expert on digital effects um, or computer-generated effects, but I do think that there needs to be some level of reality in order for these films to age well. Like, yes, you mentioned Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park certainly has its fair share of CGI in it, uh, particularly like these kind of stampedes are pretty much all CGI. But a lot of the creatures they created, they did animatronically and had CGI over the top of it right? So there's still a sense of solidity to it. There's still this reality to it. It is a thing that exists. And I think even though, you know, we're talking about apples and oranges here a little bit, when you're talking about dinosaurs, things, we have an idea of what they look like, whereas the mutants in this, it's totally completely made up and you can kind of do anything. But the fact that they made these effects happen in a physical way really gives it weirdly, this sense of grounding to the movie that, like, no, this is a real thing in this world that exists. It may not exist in any other world, but in the world we're watching, this exists and this feels real because it looks realistic and the actors around it are reacting to something that's actually there. And I think when you see Quaid's reaction to Quado, it's a very real reaction. It's probably just Arnold thinking... Jesus, that's fucking gross. I don't even want to look at that. And we kind of all feel the same way at home watching it too. And that's because it's something that was created. And, you know, they clearly had fun with it. Same thing with like their their taxi driver character. When you find out he's a mutant later and he takes off the glove and his arm kind of unfolds. I mean, it's gross. It's kind of hard to look at. But it's also cool to look at because it's something that they actually created and not just something that becomes superimposed on top of another image. Yeah,
2: I mean the the worst sin this film has, as far as how they present Mars to me, is that there's no such thing as bulletproof glass. That's like that's the the only like disconnect I have where I'm taken out of it is like Jesus. A lot of these action scenes have to stop because someone says, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, that's glass. That breaks. It kills us all." It's like, oh, that's you know structurally, you know the design of this entire outfit. Uh, I hope someone was fired for this. Like, you know, there's a lot of faith put in that there's no gunplay here. It's it's like a... uh, No gunplay. saloon.
1: No gunplay. No one thrown through a window. No one, you know, mistakes happen. Like, glass breaks. Like, this, you probably should have thought it out. You know, it's a fun action movie. It's over the top. But kind of the crux of the movie is, like, is this real or isn't it? Right? Do you think it matters? No,
2: I don't. I don't care, personally. I I don't think the character really cares. I mean, I guess I don't think he's
1: smart enough to figure it out anyway. Well, so.
2: once he saves the day, right. And he like frees the planet and suddenly everyone can breathe now. And I guess it's like, you know, livable for everyone, not just the extremely
1: like magic.
2: <laughs> yeah. I guess then it would be, Hey, this would be kind of nice if it's real. Cause now I'm a hero to everyone. Right. Um, and <laughs> the bastardized version of my life. If I wake up, I'm no longer the hero. It's like a oh, fuck Sharon stone again. Like, for the 100th time, Jesus. Um uh, I yeah, I think it's just it's just uh, you know, Verhoven looking at masculinity and saying that fortunately or unfortunately that there're going to be some guys, probably more than you'd you'd like to know or care to admit that when prompted will pursue anything that benefits their ego everyone else be damned. And once they get into that win or lose, they will remain unchanged. <laughs> and I think that's Arnold's character. I don't think there's an arc that's being presented. Yeah. It's here.
1: interesting because, you know, it's set up as this like mystery of is, is it real or is it not? But I'm not sure he's any different no matter what, like either he's the hero or he wakes up and he had a really cool dream and he still has a pretty good life. Like that's a good position to be in. It's a win-win. Yeah. I don't, you know, not much in the way of risk here, because even
2: if you believe the other side, uh, and let's say that's all real, uh, apparently he was playing both sides, and the, the guys that Great. were shooting at him weren't really shooting at him. So the the whole time, this has been catered to. This Great. is a, uh, you know, a bachelor party where everyone has put together your little paintball tournament, and you've gone to the strip club. And all all of this has been for you, buddy. And it's like we get to the end and it's like the this is your life moment where Arnold talks to himself and tells himself how awesome he is and how good of a job he's done.
1: Just fantastic. So last question before we move on here. If you're Arnold, which do you prefer? Do you want it to be real or do you want it to be, a, you know, all a fantasy that was concocted for you? Oh,
2: I mean, me personally. Yeah. Like. If you go uh, through all this,
1: do you want – did you want all those heroic actions to be real? Or do no. you want to go back to your comfortable life with Sharon Stone?
2: Well, yeah, clearly I want Sharon Stone in this instance. But no, I, I don't
1: want – I don't want to be the savior of Mars. Like I don't <laughs> – <laughs> I love – you could hear the exhaustion in your voice just at the thought like, oh, man, that's a lot of work. <laughs> it's... I mean, yeah, even if I've already done it, it's still never over, right? Oh, yeah, everyone's it, going to come up to you every day.
0: Thank Every you. conversation Thank I ever you.
2: have, it's like, hey, you remember the time you saved his planet? Yes, I remember the time. <laughs> you know what I, I fantasize about now? Having sex with Sharon Stone. And it's like that. There, I guess there could be like, you know, the twist ending where the guy gets everything he thought he wanted and right. it's still not enough. There's that.
1: There is that. Uh, Grass is know. greener, man. <laughs> it's.
2: You know, cue the replacements playing unsatisfied and it's uh, almost <laughs> like I guess that's a perfect movie, but it's pretty damn close to me. I i honestly don't know what more I would ask of Total Recall where I'm just like, yeah. you know what they could have done X, Y or Z. I don't know. I mean, what what more do I want from this? And, it, and it's actually a perfect film of its time because I don't see it being made five years earlier or five years later so it's well, like they tried to like remake it ago.
1: recently and it was terrible so well
2: you know we we talked about that with robocop dave no one remembers you Now, let's just we'll just move along past that i
1: hope colin farrell got paid a lot of money for that that's 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 all i hope um so now that we've watched a couple more Verhoven movies um the next movies that we're gonna we're gonna talk about i bet you know which ones they are by heart because we're gonna talk about the sexy stuff so uh what are what are our next two movies mike
2: I do. I've got them tattooed on myself. Like a guy Pierce memento. Like (laughs) never forget. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's, he's actually taking the, uh, the career advice I would have given him at the time. It's like, all right, you got Sharon stone here as the femme fatale. She needs to like embrace that role. Like that character needs to be like the lead or I guess co-lead with a befuddled Michael Douglas. (laughs) um, and, you know, he did it. I mean, everything I've read was they apparently offered this part to everyone else under the sun and I guess settled on Sharon Stone, who wasn't quite name of the time. But Basic Instinct would be the next one up. <laughs> and then <laughs> man just, you know, triples down after Basic Instinct, a like least. sex thriller and just decides, you know, what we don't need we don't need the thriller aspect anymore.
1: Strip Clubs, Vegas. Showgirls. Yep, absolutely. So we will be taking a look at Basic Instinct and Showgirls. So headed into that, what are your what are your thoughts on Verhoeven as a director of the the three that we've watched so far? You know, I'm
2: I'm down on RoboCop, which probably is most people they would they would pick that one at the top of the pile uh, if they're watching Verhoeven again. Um, for me, I think I think he's going to be titillating then I don't need to see people like tortured to death to do it. Like, and there's, there's obviously going to be like bad shit that happens, but (laughs) in basic instinct, (laughs) when your body is torn to shreds, you still have an attractive blonde on top of you in the middle of intercourse. (laughs) I mean, that's a total recall moment right there. Like (laughs) that's, that's a great game over sequence. Um, I gotta go. I mean, I think I guess would I say proud going into these next two that he just sort of embraced like this is what I'm interested in. I'm kind of interested in sex on film and we're going to push that. And I guess when we get to showgirls, we're going to see how far they pushed it. And then uh, we never really came back from that. We sort of like I don't I'm trying to think of another mainstream film that came out um, that was a wide release. that was like NC-17 and it just didn't happen. It didn't work. So <laughs> this is going to be Verhoeven's Total Recall moment. the Showgirls will be his mission to Mars to become a hero for <laughs> adult filmmaking in the mainstream. And
1: it just didn't happen. Adult filmmaking in more than one way. Yes. Um, I'm, I'm in an interesting place with Verhoeven because I have at least liked all three of these movies. And all three of them are fun. Uh, this will blow your mind, but I don't think I've ever seen Basic Instinct. I think I saw clips of it when I was a teenager. And that's about it. Like I don't think I've ever watched the entire movie like front was to back. Was it like
2: the right clips? I mean I I'm trying to imagine a teenage boy that was like I saw a clip <laughs> of that and that's good enough. Like I you know, I <laughs> I wasn't quite a teenager at that, you know, the time that I became aware of it and I was to me it was like, oh that's a that's one of those like dirty movies, like <laughs> not even knowing what an actual dirty film was, but I thought that's, that's it. That's basic instinct and it has movie stars in it. Right. Um, so, so this is very disappointing to me. So this is a fresh,
1: like first time watch for you. Yeah. Yeah. So it'll be interesting because from my limited knowledge of it, it doesn't, it doesn't feel as quote unquote fun. As the rest of these movies, right? It's a little more serious. It's a thriller. Listen you know. to the,
2: the fucking prude
1: we've got so, here. No, that's not <laughs> it. No. So I'm I'm wondering what the, the tonal shift is going to be like. Going from Total Recall to Basic Instinct is going to be kind of a shock to the system. So I'm kind of preparing myself for that. But expecting to enjoy the movie because I've heard nothing but good things about it. Like anyone who had a bad thing to say about Basic Instinct was, as you mentioned, kind of a prude. Or someone who is really religious and didn't want to see that kind of thing on film, and I am not that person. I want to see that type of thing on film, so I'm I'm ready for this. But I have that'll seen, fun but I have seen showgirls, so it'll be yeah, it'll be an adjustment. Well, that'll be something we'll get
2: into because uh, what I remembered, uh, you know, I didn't know what uh, an actual dirty movie was, but uh, even as a child, I knew that the gay community uh, initially not a
1: fan. Of yeah, I do remember hearing that. Yeah, yeah. where it kind of paints gay people as killers and violent and so we'll see how how i react to that um, yeah so that will be our next episode we will be watching basic instinct and showgirls uh but until then you should follow us online you can find us on twitter and instagram and all those places at directed by pod but most importantly uh if somehow you've just happened upon this one episode you should go subscribe to our podcast uh on apple Podcasts or stitcher or uh convince your friends to to listen to us too because we always want a broader audience uh as we move through all these great directors so join us next time when we talk about basic instinct and showgirls